for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 107, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, we're continuing a conversation I had with author and speaker, Steve Arterburn. If you missed part one of that interview, you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts or on my website at meekerparenting.com. It was fabulous. I strongly encourage you to listen to part one of my interview. Steve is the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries and host of the number one nationally syndicated talk show, New Life Live. It's heard and watched by three million people each weekday. He's a best-selling author of books such as Healing as a Choice and Every Man's Battle, which is going to be the topic of our discussion today. Steve has degrees from Baylor University and the University of North Texas, and he and his family live in Carmel, Indiana. As always, I'll share my points to ponder so you can start using them right away. And remember, parents, don't just download episodes. Click subscribe, because when you do that, you will join my parenting revolution, and each new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. Also, we are on iTunes, but the PGK podcast is also available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcast, subscribe today so you won't miss a single episode. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 107. Stay with us. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Steve Arterburn. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Let's turn the corner and and talk about some positives and some things that um, that parents can do because I'm sure you're used to your audiences or parents um, being terrified after you've been talking for 30 minutes and thinking, um, "Gosh, there's nothing I can do." You know, I've been out there beating the drum to parents and teenagers for years about the fact that, you know, kids shouldn't be sexually active, but we're living in a culture that's pushing, pushing, pushing. And I talk about it from a, a medical disease standpoint, um, which, by the way, kids will listen to a little bit, but what they really want to know is psychologically why it's bad for them when they're 16 to have, you know, four partners. But many times parents feel, you know, this is, this is a train that's left the station, my kid's on the train, it's going faster and faster, and there isn't a whole lot I can do. I hear of a lot of parents tell me, you know, my son is in his room on his laptop, 16 years old, for hours on end. Um, he's going through those teen years. I know he wants to isolate. It's okay. There's nothing I can do. And one of the first rules I tell parents is, look, no boy should be in his room with a door shut, with a laptop period, because or you know phone. what's going to happen. Or phone. Or phone. And yeah. I tell them, pornography jumps out at them. It doesn't just, they don't right. have to go looking. It just comes. Right. So what are a few things that parents of young boys, um, even pre-adolescent boys, can do to help their sons 
A, avoid falling into this trap. B, not respond to it when it jumps in their lap. And then C, sort of safeguard themselves moving forward. Well, let me give you the answer that nobody wants to hear, okay? (laughs) So uh, let's say a mom is listening. Um, Ask your husband to get help for his pornography problem. Because and if you do that, uh, you will be you have a sixty to sixty five percent chance of being right on target. Seriously, that's, that's how many men are using pornography. Sixty to sixty five percent. That's probably even low. So the first thing is he needs to, the the man. Why is the woman the only one concerned? Where's the guy? Where's the husband or the ex husband? And if it's an ex husband that is not involved with this young man's life, you've got to bring men into your son's life. But the first thing is, as adults, we get the negative out of the way. You know, we do a workshop um, called Every Man's Battle, Mm -hmm. and we help guys get rid of that. Then we do an intimacy in marriage intensive where we teach couples that have been married 30 years how to be intimate, maybe, for the first time. So first of all, get rid of the pornography. Second, fix your marriage and have an an intimacy that you can appreciate. Now you have a heart for what you want this child to do. And so you can go to that 14-year-old, 16-year-old and say, you know what? We have, we've been too lenient here. We've let you uh, have too much freedom here. We're afraid for you. Here's what happened to us or to me. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have some new restrictions. Secondly, if that child uh, is not in a youth group, in a church, or in, a, in some kind of uh, leadership or whatever kind of club at school, you've got to bring in the positive influences into this child's life. Um, we wrote Every Young Man's Battle. It'll teach this kid, here's, here's not only why this is going to be uh, really harmful to you, and hurt you the rest of your life. But here's a way for you to live in a different way uh, where, you know, it's, it's wonderful and there's meaning and purpose and all the good things uh, you can experience. But I would say you start by taking care of your own problem and then uh, either preparing your son for every young man's battle or every man's battle. Those are the books that have, for 20 years they've mm-hmm. been giving parents the answers uh, that they've been looking for. One of the things that I found that's difficult is um, getting mothers or fathers to broach the subject, not just with their kids, because it's really hard to get parents to talk to their kids about sex or sexuality, even though those kids are being talked to about it ad nauseum, 24-7 because of television and so forth. Right. So A, how do you get him to do that? And then B, how do you get um, a wife to approach her husband about the fact that she thinks he's in pornography? Because if you're saying it starts with the parents having a healthy view of sex, sexual activity, how do you get them to start those conversations? Well, um, first of all, I I think... Let's go with the, the kids. Yeah. I want to put a plug in. I didn't write these books, but I think at age four, um, there is a, there's a set of books, or at least one book, 
that you really ought to have as a parent. If you have a newborn, you ought to get these books and get ready to use them. The books are the, the book that we use with our kids. It's called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Oh. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but uh, it's it it teaches a child to uh, you know if there's a picture. Uh, and anything is showing other than what you would see at the swimming pool in a swimsuit is it helps them to say that is not good for me and to tell somebody about it. But it, it's really um, I'm, I don't do it justice. But, oh, I wish I had thought of these myself. They're so great. But the book is entitled Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. That's where you begin. And if you're thinking as soon as my child goes to elementary school, uh, I'm going to prepare them. It's too late. So you mm. have to start talking about it conceptually very early. And uh, then um, how, then you ask about how does a woman talk to her husband? Well, there's this great proverb in the Bible that says, when you wink at wrong, you cause trouble. But an open rebuke brings lasting peace. So it's important for you to talk about it and to say, honey, I just heard a radio program or I just read an article. And I got to I got to ask you, are you using pornography or how much are you using pornography? Or do you think our marriage would be better if you quit looking at and and I like to use this word better than than pornography, inappropriate images, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of things you wouldn't label as pornography, but they're inappropriate, but they objectify women. Look, if you believe in the Me Too movement. If you believe in women being treated fairly and equally, that they are the, you know, the crown of creation, you need to stand up and stand against your husband being part of an industry that is degraded and depersonalized uh, women and, and ask him to be the man that he wants to be. Because I think even in an atheist, probably down inside, there's this intrinsic little bit of awareness somewhere, a seed that says there's something not right about Mm -hmm. this. Appeal to that, to the man that you're married to. You know, you're absolutely right. And as you were talking, I was thinking back uh, about the Super Bowl and how our culture responded to J-Lo's performance. And I think... And I wrote a post about it, but everybody applauded her as you're 50 and look how hot you are and sexy. And they had the poll and she brought her little daughter up there. And I felt so sickened because women were coming out, say, this is women empowerment. And I thought, if you really believe that, how twisted has your thinking become? Because this is so degrading to women across. I don't, I don't mean to divert, but it was astonishing to me. It shouldn't astonish me. It's part of the objectification of women in our society, and women have bought into it. Yes. And when you take something that probably has more families looking at it at the same time, and you put a, a, a dancing pole in the middle of a halftime performance, and the gyrations and all that was going on. When that is supposed to be the height of entertainment uh, in a year, for and a family is going to be sitting there, it shows you how sick mm-hmm. our society is. How did it get that way? Could pornography 
have anything to do with it. Yeah. It's part, it's a big piece of the puzzle of how we've gotten to a place where we don't want women to be sexually harassed, and yet our society and our culture dehumanizes and objectifies and essentially is part of a major sexual harassment of women. Well, and the, the you know, the, I don't want to say irony of the, the, the Me Too movement, but how warped and distorted it, it all is because the very woman, the women who say, I don't, I shouldn't be sexually uh, uh, abused, I shouldn't be looked at as a sexual object, so on and so forth, are the very ones out there sort of saying to men, come here, come here, come here, aren't I hot? Oh, stay away. How dare yeah. you look at me that way? So it's, it's, it's really such an oxymoron. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Steve Arterburn. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of this conversation. Let's jump back to, to parents here because I really, really want to help parents um, because I've, I've had parents call with seven-year-old boys who are looking at pornography um, on the computer. And I, and I feel badly for these little boys. They didn't go looking for it. It sort of jumped in them and then, and then the intrigue. And if they haven't been taught about good pictures, bad pictures, and they see a bad picture that triggers some feeling in them, whatever it is that they've never felt before, it's going to draw them back in there. So you said one of the most important things that parents can do is look at their own lives and look at the use or uh, influence of pornography in their own lives. Um, second, should the mom or should the dad be the one to approach the son about pornography or does it matter? Well, I think, um, you know, if you've got a dad, that's probably the best. Um, but don't, you know, just because dad's not living at home, don't let that be an excuse to do nothing. Um, but it really is uh, wonderful when a father can be the person that steps up here and engages his son uh, in a great conversation about this. Because here's the, here's the, the good news. Once you're able to talk to your child about a um, about pornography, there's nothing you can't right. talk to exactly. your child yeah. about. So, yeah. yeah. So I just have the conversation. Please have the conversation. Well, and I think it's important because um, I do a lot of talking to teenagers about sex, and to tell you the truth, I think it's pretty fun because. Kids want to talk about it. They want questions answered. And they feel that their parents or adults out there are quite uncomfortable talking about it, except to say, use a condom and you're fine. I mean, you know, they'll get adults to say that, but to go beyond it and say, you know, emotionally, this is what you can hope for. And, and sexually, this is what you can hope for in a, in a great relationship. Most of them are not being talked to about that way. Um, so in your uh, every young man's battle, parents can learn about how to help their sons avoid getting into this. And then if a parent thinks that a son already is looking at pornography, first of all, if they think he might be, you're saying he is, correct? Well, I think so. I think we that if we can um, assume that this is happening and it's mm -hmm. going to be um, a pretty accurate assumption. There are exceptions. But let's assume it and let's intervene 
as if it is and not not just think oh not my child right yeah it most likely is <laughs> so let's act responsibly based on that we only have a couple minutes left but i need to keep picking your brain Steve, because there's so much inside it that I want to know, and we can only tap into a little bit here. Let's say Steve Arterburn's home and you find out that your 15-year-old son is looking at pornography in his room, and he has been doing it for several months. How do you handle that? How, what would, what, how would you, when would you go to your son and what would you say to him? Well, I would uh, sit down and I would say to him, uh, Solomon, you know, I'm, I'm aware that this is what has been happening. And um, it's sad because we've had so many conversations about this, but I understand how tempting it is. Um, and I'd like you to give me your phone. And so I would take his phone and he would not have a phone. And I would, um, I would take his iPad and he would have to ask me, when he could use his iPad. But the immediate consequence would be 30 days, you do not have a phone. And, and I would take, um, I would remove his easy access to this, and that's helping him. The second thing that I would do is I would be calling um, the counselor that I know that works really well with young men, and I would say, we got some work to do here. Uh, I did my best as a dad, really committed to this, but it wasn't enough. And so I need some help. So I'd get him some counseling, not to shame him, but he needs some tools and he needs a third voice. Um, the other thing is I'd be talking to the youth pastor saying, hey, uh, you guys need to be doing a little bit more uh, on this stuff. Although my church, uh, oh, it's amazing what they do for young people. I bet they do. <laughs> yeah. I, I would be implementing a comprehensive plan to help him not fall victim to this in the long term, which means don't give him free access, uh, help him have some space here, and then I've got to start giving him some tools and through a counselor and through me, and I've got to sp start spending more time with him eyeball to eyeball than I thought that I needed to spend. Those are some things I would do. Oh, Steve, that warms my heart, warms my heart. In, in about different things, I say the exact same things to parents, not necessarily about pornography, but about, you know, social media and girls. Here's what I get when I say, okay, you know, your daughters and I had a little girl who um, tried to commit suicide, uh, actually said that social media um, contributed to it because they were talking about it. She had some people who were uh, bullying her on, on social media and so forth. And when I talked with her and her mother after and said, the phone needs to go away, um, I would say 99% of the time, this is the response mom gave to me and this response I get from others. I can't do that because that will make her more depressed and she will see me as controlling. That's cruel. Yeah. So, okay, let's get her uh, in with the therapist immediately, immediately. And maybe um, we need to do some testing on her and see uh, how all of this has come about. And let's uh, maybe we need to do some mother daughter or family therapy but I'm going to tell you something. If you're sitting around thinking, oh, counseling's for really sick people uh, mm -hmm. versus 
I need to use this thing that jillions of people think is so helpful, and I need to do some repair work here. I mean, if her left arm wasn't working, you you would say, what do we need to do? Is it a doctor? Is it a physical therapist? Is it medication? What are my options to help my daughter's arm work properly? When it comes to her soul and her heart and her spirit, and, and, and you don't want to do anything because you're afraid you'll, you'll get her more depressed, hey, that's a broken heart, spirit, soul, and character. Do the repair work. The sooner, the better. It's just a phone. <laughs> it is. My daughter doesn't have a phone. She's 10. She's the only 10-year-old I know that doesn't have a phone. Yeah, good for you. But my, my son, um, you know, he knows anything that we find that's inappropriate, and we check regularly, he's going to be the only 13-year-old without a phone. Well, I will tell you, my husband and I have a great marriage. We work together, and he has a flip phone. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, that, I, I praise you for that. I, I honor you and him because you know what? He's not flipping over. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And he just said, I don't want to go near it. If I get a Victoria's Secret catalog in the mailbox, it goes into the trash before it even comes into the home. People may say, oh, that's ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous. Yeah. You know, even at our age, why? even allow a little bit of sexual temptation to come in. And my husband said it's all about training your eyes. And I know you talk about that in every man's battle. Well, yeah, it's, it's you, you've got to look away, which is what gentlemen do. You bounce. But Meg, let me just say this uh, in this final few seconds we've got. Um, people, if people call me at 1-800-NEW-LIFE, we'll help them. We'll get them resources. Uh, you can call or you can go to newlife.com, find about, out about the Every Man's Battle workshop or our marriage thing. There's so many things you can do. Uh, we got a radio show like you, uh, New Life Live. It's on Sirius XM at uh, 1 p.m., channel 131. You can get it at our website, newlife.com. Don't do nothing. That's my message. Don't do nothing. <laughs> get some help. I wish we could clone you, Steve, but I know you've done a great job of offering national resources because you're absolutely right. If there are parents listening right now who are concerned about this, either for their sons or their daughters or their husbands, you can help. And there is good help. Yeah, we have scary news, but the great news is it can be turned around. Uh, if if a parent is sitting there wondering what we talked about first, at which of your books would you recommend parents reading to help their sons or to help prevent well, it and treat it? If you um, if you'll go to um, if you'll get a copy of Preparing Your Son, that's for about ten years old, and it you just read half of it to them, and then if you um, if you have an older child, it's a uh, Every Young Man's Battle or uh, Every Young Woman's Battle. And then, uh, then the adult book, Every Man's Battle. That's the 20th anniversary. It's the up, updated version. It's um, it's um, I, I mean, I read that years and years ago. I'm, it, but it's so wonderful that you know it'll probably just get more and more popular. Yeah, I wish that, we had more time. Maybe we can do another interview. I would love it because this is so much on my heart. So much on my heart, Steve Arterburn. You are just one of the most gifted people. God is using you in incredible ways. I thank God for you that you're out there doing it. And I pray that he would bless you decades and decades more so that you continue this wonderful work on behalf of our kids and on behalf of marriages across the across the country. One more time, uh, website places that people can reach you. 
1-800-NEW-LIFE and newlife.com. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Meg. You keep up the great work you're doing. Now on to my points to ponder. One, don't shame your son. Many parents are shocked to find out what their sons are seeing. Pornography on the internet is no longer about showing beautiful women in suggestive poses. It involves multiple partners, bestiality, sadomasochism, and more. It demeans women and causes boys to adopt a perverted view of sexual activity and sexuality. Two, pornography damages a boy's ability to have genuine intimacy during a sexual encounter. Because pornography exploits women, it gives boys a graphic image of what sex could look like or should look like, and it causes a boy's emotions to be hardened. It leads to very serious consequences in healthy relationships in the future. Pornography is no innocent recreational pastime. Three, Pornography affects your son's relationship with you. Because boys feel ashamed if they're watching porn, they hide it and they pull away from you. They have they keep a secret. So if you're a mother, your son will not only pull away from you, but he will start to demean you in his mind. All right, parents, let's get social. I want to hear from you. I want to interact with you. You can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Meg Meeker MD. Or if you have a question, send it to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. That's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I'm going to use different names of the senders today because of the sensitive nature of our topic. This first question is from Kathy. Dear Dr. Meg, I have a lovely six-year-old daughter. Ever since she was nine months old, she's done a hip swiveling action. At first, she did it as a kind of happy dance when lying on her back. And now she's gotten older, she's realized it feels good when she's on her belly. Now she's six and she does it anytime she's lying down. We talk about it and she says it feels good. I've told her that I understand, but I don't want her to do it because I don't want her getting sore. And she says, I can't quit this feeling. Will she eventually outgrow this? At what point does it move from normal behavior to more of a problem? I'm also concerned that she may have an OCD issue. She's had a few other habits such as saying woohoo or giving a short scream when we say yes to request for something if it goes her way. Well, Kathy, um, your daughter's behavior is really not that atypical. Obviously, you know she's masturbating, but I think it's developing into an OCD behavior. And I see this not uncommonly in girls. Some kids with OCD focus on hand washing or changing their clothes or playing a certain way over and over and over. Or maybe they have a fear that they're not apologizing enough, so they do it over and over and over. OCD can be treated very successfully. And as your daughter gets older, she may change her obsession of the choice that she uses to obsess over. So at this point, I really wouldn't worry about it too much. However, there are some very helpful things that you can do. First, talk to her doctor about it and ask him or her how to treat OCD as she gets older. Tell your doctor that you believe it's become a compulsive behavior because I think it has. Second, tell your daughter if she wants to do that, 
she needs to go into her room. Third, when she's doing it, catch her and distract her. Interrupt the behavior and tell her what to do instead of that behavior. Fourth, empathize with her feeling when she says she can't quit it and tell her that her feelings are normal, which it sounds like you're doing, but tell her when she feels she wants to do it to try to do something else instead. You want to break the habit. Acknowledge that she feels it and say, honey, whenever you feel this feeling, I want you to do this instead. So find out what she really likes to do. I want you to color. I want you to draw. I want you to go outside and play. I want you to get your Legos. I want you to go get your doll. You know what I'm saying. Train her to do something else when she has the feeling. And once she does that over and over and over, she will change what she fixates on. Five, this will go away. So don't fret about it. But it takes time. And she will need some help down the road or maybe even now from a counselor who can retrain her focus. And she will overcome this. If it's truly OCD, she's going to struggle with OCD for a long time, but she can get control of her OCD. I've seen this over and over. My second question is from Julie. Dear Dr. Meeker, I need guidance on an issue my husband and I are having with our eight-year-old son. Our son wants to sleep in our bedroom all the time. He hates bedtime and he always has. I've talked with our pediatrician about it. We've made sure we have a good bedtime routine. No screen in the evenings and everything else we need to do to give him good sleep hygiene. He's pretty much an only child and he's running the show, unfortunately. Aha. When I ask why he doesn't want to sleep in his room, I get different answers. Today, he said he has no idea why he doesn't want to sleep in his room. And sometimes he says he's scared and he, get, he can't get scary thoughts out of his head. As a side note, when Tyler sleeps in our room, he's only allowed to sleep on the floor. Good for you. But he will wake in the middle of the night and ask me to lay with him and rub his back. I'm wondering if he can still learn how to self-soothe or is it too late? And my husband and I need time to ourselves. It's exhausting. As he gets older, should I be cuddling with him less? Well, Julie, you're in the same situation as many parents. First of all, believe it or not, I see a lot of boys who have difficulty sleeping. And one of the most common reasons they have difficulty sleeping is because they're watching something on television, on the internet, on a video game that really scares them. And they don't want to tell anybody it scares them because they want to be tough. Um, and I see this particularly in, you know, fifth, sixth grade boys. So it may be that you're, that Tyler's seeing something that he's really scared about. You need to find out what it is. Um, the second thing is, it's it's not uncommon for eight-year-old boys to want to sleep in their parents' room. So, if he really is afraid, you can let him sleep in your room, but he can only sleep on the floor. And over time, you want to move that sleeping bag or the mattress farther and farther away from your bed. And over time, he'll get tired of sleeping on the floor and he will start to sleep in his bed. The second thing you can do is talk with him about changing up his room. Tell him that you want to either paint his room, you want to make it a room that's very soothing for him, or what does he like? Does he want uh, soccer balls um, painted on the walls or a border with soccer balls or whatever he's interested in? Try 
ask him to help you make his room a soothing and a calm place. Maybe he needs background noise. Maybe he needs different lighting. Maybe he needs a different pillow. You know what I'm getting to. Ask him to help you um, change up the room into a place he wants to be. Third, when um, he asks to come in your bed and to cuddle, say, no, you can't cuddle. You can go on the floor, you can rub his back, and you get right back into bed. But if he gets in the habit of cuddling with you in the middle of the night, it's not going to stop until you stop it. One thing you can do to offset that is to increase the amount of affection that he gets during the day. Sit down and read with him. Have him sit right next to you. Have him read a book to you. So you can give him plenty of affection during the day, but he doesn't need to get the cuddling at night. You can and you should expect him to sleep through the night and to, over the next weeks, sleep in his own room. Because you're absolutely right. Your bedroom is for you and your husband alone. And you need to respect that. And your son needs to respect that. You can help him with his fears. You can give him enough affection, but it can be done during the day. Five, talk to him about his fears. Ask him to draw pictures of what he sees in his mind. Draw pictures and use colors of uh, things that he's afraid of. And have him, in, an, in other words, work his fears out. How, help him take them from his head and put them on paper. And finally, give this some time. I don't mean a year. Um, and maybe not even a few months. Give this some weeks to go away. Reassure him that, yes, he may be afraid, but you are just around the corner. You and dad are always there to help him with his fears, and he has nothing to be afraid of. And finally, don't let him run the show. You're in charge. If he thinks he's in charge, he'll be very afraid. But if he knows that you're in charge, you set the rules, you and dad are going to give him security and safety, then he'll be less afraid. But when he runs the show and he makes the rules, he'll be scared. Parents, you know I love answering your questions, so keep sending them in to me. Email me any question to ask Meg at megmeekermd. I want to thank my guest, Steve Arterburn, for joining me on the show today. To find out more about Steve, you can go to stevearterburn.com. You can read his latest blogs or purchase any of his wonderful books. All of this, again, can be found at stevearterburn.com. You can also follow Steve on Facebook and Twitter. I hope you've enjoyed this and learned as much as I have by talking with Steve Arterburn. Let's recap my points to ponder. One, don't shame your son. Two, pornography damages a boy's ability to have genuine intimacy. And three, pornography always affects your son's relationship with you. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents. Subscribe so you won't miss anything and leave us a review so we know how we're doing.